I don't know what to get you, though. What do you want? I want nothing. I want a card with something stupid written in it. <laughs> okay. I'll get you that, obviously, but I'll get you something else. Because I always get you something else. Okay. And you always like the things I send you. Exactly. So. I'll let you I'll let you figure it out. I, I don't know. What? Jesus. Okay. You have to months you. to think about it. You have I do. two months to think about it. No, three months <laughs> to think about it. Yeah, I know. But this month's going to be over before we know it. That's and very true. It's going to be christmas and then it's going to be 2020 part two. Oh my god stop don't say that <laughs> you're literally jinxing the new year already i was talking about oh. this yesterday with my friends i was like listen if we have covid going into 2021 i swear to god 2021 is going to be a disaster of a year yeah but yeah but back last year i said this was going to be my year remember yeah you were grossly mistaken Yes, I know. But what if I go for the opposite strategy and I say next year is going to be the worst year in history? Well, maybe you'll have a great year. But let's not say that because then we're going to be jinxing it. So I'm knocking on wood and we're going to say all is well. Okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. It's going to be a terrible year. It's going to be awful. (laughs) Reverse psychology. Ladies and gentlemen, technical difficulties beyond our control are delaying our presentation. Now, good morning to everyone in my night operates on a frequency of 1,460 Okay, so we both have had a week, so this week is going to be a very wonderful time talking about things we love. What mm-hmm. are you talking about this week? Uh, well, if you watched last week's podcast, which you should, I was talking about the Titanic, but I know so much about it, I can't fit it all into one podcast, or this will be a nine-hour-long podcast. So, welcome back to part two of Dried Ink's Titanic discussion. I'm very excited for this because mm-hmm. we've been waiting two weeks to get part two of the Titanic discussion. So I'm <laughs> quite, quite pumped. Quite pumped. We were left on, hif- on a hifclanger? Yeah. On a cliffhanger? <laughs> we were left on a cliffhanger last time. So I'm ready to hear the next part. Next part. Do you remember where we left off? Yeah. The Titanic saw land for the last time. And where was that? What was the last land? Oh, shit. I don't remember. Uh, France? Ireland. I- Ireland. Ireland. Yes. Okay. That was her last stop. was Queenstown, Ireland. All right. She sailed off on the 11th of April, 1912, carrying 1,316 passengers and 913 crew. So, just to... Instead of going right into it, let's talk about some front random facts about the Titanic. Things I didn't cover last week. Things I, post-production, I thought, hmm, maybe I should have added that. So, did you know that there were dog kennels on the Titanic? I did not. There were dog kennels because there were 11 dogs on the Titanic. 11? 11 dogs. Okay. We don't know where the kennels were. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought originally they were on F-deck, which was not true because we found a source that said... They were on the top deck, like outside, essentially. Hmm. But they could also be inside one of the funnels. You know, the funnels that stick out the top. Mm-hmm. Because the fourth funnel of the ship was a dummy funnel. Ah. It wasn't, it was not used for anything. It was specifically used to make the ship look bigger. It wasn't connected to anything. Fucking Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> so how many propellers does the ship have? How many propellers did the ship have? Wait, can I guess? Oh. oh. Do you want to guess the engine type? Yes, I do. It's a okay, go ahead. big one. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. There were, well, there was three, three, uh, three propellers, so therefore three funnels because three engines. Mm, okay. So there were two reciprocating four-cylinder, two reciprocating four-cylinder triple expansion steam engines, and one lower pressure. Parson turbine for all the engine nerds out there. I don't know anything about that, but I'm sure it means a lot to some people. It means a lot to someone. I'm not sure me. it would mean a lot to my dad. <laughs> yeah, he would I, be like, "Really? About, no way." I was thinking of your dad while I was writing that. Not because <laughs> I remember he works on engines. He does. So the fourth engine was mostly used for from exhaust from the ship and mostly from the kitchen, which. Fun fact, the kitchen was fully electrical. It was a fully oh. electrical kitchen. Mm-hmm. It was one of the first of its kind. And there were even electric potato peelers. Oh, my God. 
gosh, I don't even you have know? one of those. What the high class? Yeah, I know. Do you know why there were electric potato peelers? I'm assuming because they were eating a lot of potatoes. Mm-hmm. And there were no electric potato peelers on the Olympic. Ah, that is why the competition is, is real. So they had to peel 40 tons of potatoes by hand. Damn. You had to do, yeah. There was probably one person, like a team of people, just constantly peeling potatoes at the time. Every job has that one job where the idiots go do it, you know? And it was the potato peelers. Yeah, like, you fucked up, so you go do that, you know? That's, that's, yeah, go peel potatoes in 40 tons. That's a lot of potatoes. A lot of potatoes. So... Now, one thing people always forget about the Titanic is it was just another ship, right? It was, yes, the largest and most beautiful ship in the world. But if she survived, she would have been outclassed less than a year later by the SS Imperator, which was bigger and wider. Like, it was a bigger ship in general. Hmm. Well, I less mean, than a year later. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then we would have had, well, Titanic wouldn't have made it in history. Exactly. It was a German ship, too. Ooh, Ooh, it's a cool name. It is Imperator. A, it's a very cool name. They had a they had an eagle at the front of it. Oh, that, and, yeah. That's when you know. And I looked, I thought the eagle was cool. and But I was watching this guy discuss the ship, and he's like, the disgusting, horrible-looking eagle at the front. I'm like, oh. Oh, I thought it was nice. It's like watching Kitchen Nightmares, where somebody brings out the food. You go, oh, that looks amazing. Gordon Ramsay goes, disgusting. Awful. Like, oh, it's disgusting. Oh, You're like, oh. Disgusting. So, the only reason 90% of an ocean liner enthusiasts like myself know about ocean liners is because of the Titanic. Mm-hmm. They don't like to admit it, but it's true. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very true. And the Titanic wasn't that much of a marvel for its day because it was only slightly bigger than her sister ship. You know? Slightly. The Olympic was the Ooh, wow, the Olympic. <laughs> so before we get into the meat and gravy, I also want to clear up the difference between an ocean liner and a cruise ship. I'm just nerding out right now, okay? I am just listening. Let I'm letting you nerd out. This is what this episode is for. <laughs> exactly. So Titanic was not a cruise ship, okay? There's okay. a difference. Cruise ships cruise. They're wider and taller, and shorter, essentially. If you look at pictures of cruise ships and ocean liners next to each other, they look completely different. Ocean liners, ocean liners, ocean line. They are long, thin, and slightly shorter. Right? They are made to battle through the ocean while cruise ships are made to cruise through soft seas. I see the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you want to look, the Queen Mary 2 is the perfect example because it's the only ocean liner that in operation today. And if you look at her compared to her sister ships, she's got three sisters. Mm-hmm. Not sisters, but you know, same class. I see. I see. Isn't this the one that you wanted to go on? Yes, absolutely. I still want to go on it. <laughs> Just live because an entire month on the Queen Mary 2. It's actually, do you know who runs the Queen Mary? Who runs the Queen Mary? Let's, let's go back one episode. Line. Yes, Cunard. Yeah. Do you remember them? I do. From the last episode? Every time. Titanic arrival. Remember when I was in Scotland and I sent you a picture of that luggage in this random cafe in Aberdeen and it had like yeah. Cunard on the luggage? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I know what this is. <laughs> Thomas. I'm Thomas. And Literally, I sent you a picture and you're like, Cunard. whoa. Cunard. <laughs> I really want to go on the Cunard. It's, uh, they still have a class system as well. They still have first, third, third class. Like an airplane. The, I think they're the only ship line that does that. It's it's purely out of tradition. Okay. Like, you, you're not going to get shoveled into the bottom decks. It's, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. It's just named sake, essentially. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I guess you pay more or less for your ticket depending on your class, too. Yeah, I mean, window, balcony, in ship, you know, it's the same. You're right. Depending on, yeah. it's like hotel rooms, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, essentially. Except we just call it third class. Mm-hmm. Don't call it steerage anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, do you know what killed the ocean liner industry? What killed the ocean? The cruise ship industry. No. Uh. Airplanes. Oh, yeah. Well, ocean liners were to carry passengers. I forgot to mention that in my difference. 
ocean liners had a purpose. They were to deliver people from point A to point B, while cruise ships are people being delivered from point A, relax a bit, back to point A. Mm-hmm. Right? So, same with the Queen Mary, too, is you get on in New York and you get off in England. Mm-hmm. Which is why not many people do it, because then you... Nobody travels by ship anymore, you know? No, there's no point. I still want to go on it, though. I seriously... It's an experience. Got, it's definitely an they experience. Do. It is. Because they, they treat it sometimes like the old ways, where they got the balls going on. Mm-hmm. Ah, man. Mm-hmm. So, when we get a Patreon set up, that's my, that might be what it's going towards. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I believe definitely. that. We'll do a special episode on the Queen Mary, too. I honestly, I've never thought about it that way. But in the end, I, like my grandparents, they came here by boat. And it was mm-hmm. probably on an ocean liner. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, the term fresh off the boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They came across on ocean liners. Yep, there you go. All right, so the last time the ship was ever seen on land was the 11th of April, right? Mm-hmm. So April 14th at 9.20 p.m., dinner was slowly coming to an end for most passengers. Captain Smith heads to his cabin, leaving William Murdoch in charge. Murdoch is the second in command, and this man... He is the most experienced person on the Olympic-class ships, next to Thomas Andrews, the architect. So if you want anybody on your ship, it'd be William Murdoch. Right? Mm-hmm. 9.40 p.m. The ship's wireless room receives warnings of large icebergs from the Mezaba. But the wireless operators were too busy dealing with passengers' personal messages to send warnings to the bridge. Right? The wireless operators were actually contracted separately from White Star Line. They didn't work for White Star. They worked for somebody else. Mm-hmm. They worked for the mailroom. Remember I told you it was a mail ship? Mm-hmm. Well, they were they were to send messages from the ship to land. Mm. There's a deleted scene in the movie Titanic that shows this. Is the wireless guys are doing their thing. And they're like, you kidding me? This man wants a train to pick him up at the harbor. His own personal train. Oh, my God. Rich people problems. Yeah, rich people problems. So, at 10 o'clock p.m., Frederick Fleet and Reginald Lee, the ship's lookouts, climbed the nest to the front of the ship to take over for the night shift. They had specific orders to look out for small ice. Small ice. Small ice, not big ice. Maybe that's why they missed it. (laughs) It was actually, I was about to explain that, it was a clear night. With not a cloud in the sky, it was minus two uh, minus two degrees, or twenty eight point four degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. You may think the lookout should be able to see better, but it was the opposite. Because there was no no clouds, no nothing. It was the opposite of a mirage where you can't mm. see things. And to make matters worse, they didn't have binoculars; they were misplaced oh by a God. previous crew. So in the, previous the, in the end, it's like the reflection of the moon was reflecting on the water. And so yeah. everything kind of just looked shiny. Yeah, there was no horizon to be seen. Oof. It, it's, it's invisible fog. It looks like fog. It's not fog, but it looks like fog. Oh, my. But and it turns out the binoculars wouldn't have made a difference anyways because the mirage is still there. Exactly. Right? So, 10.55 p.m., a nearby ship, the SS Californian, radios the Titanic. Actual words spoken between... Say, old man, we are stopped and surrounded by ice. Old man is a very famous term. I don't exactly know what it means, but they say, hey, old man, or hey, old man. But the Titanic was messaging Newfoundland, right? Mm-hmm. So they had to turn up their frequency in order to reach them. Mm-hmm. So anybody who messages the Titanic, it's really, really loud, mm-hmm. right? So the Californian is really, really close. So I, when the Californian messaged them, it's like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And Jack Phillips, the wireless operator, responded with, and I quote, shut up, shut up. I am busy. I am working. Oh my God. All through Morse code. Yes, actually. Oh man. So. By 11 o'clock, the majority of the ship's passengers have gone to bed, with the remainder still drinking, partying, 1900 style. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> Which how does that go? Very special. Yeah, I mean, I picture big skirts and dancing and oh, all this well in the world. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I I picture like smoking room, you know, just talking about politics. Also, while the ladies the ladies are off having their tea or yeah, embroidering. Gin. I, literally, I just pictured Downton Abbey, like the first few seasons <laughs> of Downton Abbey. Well, pretty much because yeah, that's the same Downton period. Abbey on the sea. Yeah, it's exactly. Well, it starts off Downton Abbey starts off with the Titanic sinking. Ex- well, yeah, exactly. Basically, I thought I thought I would get hooked on the show basically on that premise alone, but I didn't. No, because I mean, that was, no. that was literally just the first episode. It was like, this is context to place you where we are in time. I know. Bum me out. Aww. So, 11.35 p.m., the SS Californian wireless operator goes to bed, shutting off his wireless operations. This is crucial. This doesn't, this doesn't sound very important, but this is very, very important. I am registering it in my brain. SS Californian, in your head. Keep it there. Got it. Because it's not going to... Steamship it's not going to come back up. Yeah. SS Californian. It's not going to come back for a while, okay? Yeah. Four minutes later, 11.39 p.m., the bridge crew of the Titanic receives a phone call from inside the ship. Frederick Fleet, the guy in the crow's nest, says the famous words, Iceberg right ahead. Oh, no. So Panic. Rushes through the bridge. Murdoch calls the helmsman, the guy steering the ship, hard to starboard, right? Which should turn the ship left. Bit confusing, because when you turn the wheel hard to starboard, you're going by the direction the wheel is going from the bottom. So oh the bottom God. is going, yeah, it's, it's backwards. Okay, yeah. So if you say, if you say turn right, that you means you to... want to turn the ship left. Right. Yeah. Okay. You're going by the bottom of the wheel, mm-hmm. right? So, he starts spinning out of his fucking mind. He's spinning and spinning while Murdoch is calling down to the engine rooms. Full reverse. Now, imagine this, right? You're an engineer. It's just another... You're on full speed ahead. It's 11.40 at night. You're just chilling there and all of a sudden, ting, go backwards quick. Oh my god. So, chaos breaks out in the engine room, right? And... The ship isn't going to immediately go back, right? It's going to take time for them to set it all up. So the engine room breaks out in the chaos, with the iceberg getting closer and closer and closer. The engines finally slow, and they start reversing. The ship finally starts starts going. And then... Slam right across the side of the ship. It took 37 seconds from the moment the iceberg was seen to hit in the ship. 37 seconds. Watching the movie, it feels like an eternity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I swear to God, every time I watch the movie, it's like, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. And then I feel like an idiot for thinking that. Because you're like, they have so much time. They can avoid it. <laughs> she scrapes along the starboard bow. The right side, below the waterline. The bolts are popping out. And the ship's vibrating violently. Some passengers are woken up. But the some in the back of the ship, they slept right through it. Right, It wasn't that bad for some passengers. Mm-hmm. Right? It was just... Do-do-do-do-do, while other passengers are being thrown out of bed. Oh my god. So Mar- Murdoch calls hard to port in the other direction. So the back of the ship doesn't slam into the iceberg. So they have to swing around. At that moment, he calls down... Close the emergency watertight doors. Ting, ting, ting. They start coming down. They start coming down. The ship's starting to fill up with water. The first people to die on the Titanic are the mailmen, because that's the room that was breached, was the mailroom. Oh, my goodness. So it starts filling up with water, starts filling up, starts filling up. And the ship's just, it's still going, it's still going. And then Captain Smith comes out on deck. There's ice everywhere. Give me a report. Tell me what's going on. It was an iceberg. It was an iceberg. Give him a rundown. Have you will close the doors? I closed the doors. Don't worry about it. So there was a great deal of confusion. Captain Smith met up with the ship's lead architect, Thomas Andrews, who knows every single bolt on the ship. This man, it's his baby. And the CEO of White Star Line is also on the ship, or the chairman, Bruce Ismay. So you got Bruce Ismay, you got Captain Smith, you got Thomas Andrews, and they start going around the ship to see what the problem is. They start going below decks. They start checking, where is the water coming in? Where is the tear? There are 16 
compartments on the ship, separated by the watertight doors. The Titanic can stay afloat if four compartments are completely flooded. The iceberg breached six. She's gone. There is no saving her. The unsinkable ship is going to perish. And that's part two. Are you for real? I am for real. Oh my god. I was like... (gasps) (laughs) That is awful. I hate that so much. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I'm ending it now is because between now and the moment she sinks, there's nowhere to pause. Okay. okay. This is... Yeah, this this is a good moment to stop. Okay, I approve. I will take that. It's a good cliffhanger. It is a good cliffhanger. Wait, what did I say before? A hiff clanger? It's a good hiff clanger. It's a good hiff clanger. I approve of this hiff clanger. And you wonder why this is part one of 56. Oh my gosh. Literally just this entire podcast is being overtaken by the Titanic. Exactly. (laughs) I am okay with that. Just every single time. So, do you want to know something else about the Titanic? I will tell you more about the Titanic. So, any questions? Um, yes. So I've heard very many a time that there were, well, very many a time. I think I saw a documentary on Mm. how the ship was already sinking before it hit the iceberg. Like it was already doomed to failure before it hit the iceberg. No. No. Okay. Tell me why. You're talking about the coal being on fire in the engine room. Sure. Yes. Okay. Well, there was a coal fire. There was a coal fire in the engine room. The coal had been on fire for days. Okay. It's, it's super common. That happens all the time. And no, it, the ship wasn't going to sink. So in the end, it was the iceberg. And it was the fact yes. that the iceberg hit six doors and not just four. Yes. Well, six compartments instead of just four. Compartments, yeah. Oh, exactly. wow. If they had seen that iceberg literally like five seconds before, they may have made it. They would it. have made it. But if they listened to the iceberg warnings, they would have made it. Also... But it's it's mostly uh, mostly Captain Smith's fault. It's Bruce Ismay's as well because he wanted the ship to keep going as fast as possible to get there as fast there as go. possible. Because they were yeah. like, "Well, we need to That's, be the fastest yeah. ship and the biggest ship and the best ship, unsinkable." I'd also like to point out Captain Smith canceled the lifebo- lifeboat rehearsal training that morning. Wow, that is overconfidence in its finest. Yeah, yeah, that's what you do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you're just like, too confident. <laughs> Not really. I think, like, I will have more questions in next episode. Yeah. This episode was, like, preliminary. Like, this is what is yeah. going to happen. Uh-huh. There was lots of next clarification, episode. not much confusion. Next episode will be, there's going to be a lot next episode. I'm ready. Let me just say. I'm yeah. very ready for that. Yay. All right. Awesome. And so, that is, that is me. Yes. And now we move on to you. Yay. So, this week, I'm talking about... Um, lace making and I will tell you why I'm talking about lace making so for like multiple reasons so reason number one is that like we have both had a week and like I have had a week and like I just wanted to talk about something happy and something that like is super like light and fun and also I actually picked up lace making in the past month because um, I was, it was boring and COVID is really annoying and I'm always at home. So I was like, hey, let's pick up a really tedious task to learn. <laughs> and that and was lace making. So. Exactly. So, okay, before I start, you can open the doc so that you can look at the pictures while I'm talking. Oh, you yelled at me the other day for that. I did. Because I was like, <laughs> no, it's going to ruin the surprise. I didn't know not to open it. You didn't say don't open it. I know. I should have said not to open it. But it's okay. It's not a big deal. Are you ready? Here we are. This looks very Titanic. Yep. Okay. You're going to (laughs) see. Okay. All right. So before I actually start talking about this, though, um, I've posted so many pictures of like lace and things as I'm going to be talking so like to make it more visual and so that you can kind of understand what I'm talking about you can look at the laces and look at how pretty they are and say wow amazing and like visualize actually what I'm talking about so yeah that's that like last week I spoke about super anthropological things you know I love my major and minor but in the end I feel like history and anthropology talks about like 90% just shitty things humans do so you know, we're going to take a break from that human depravity for a second. So here we are talking about lace, <laughs> the history of lace making. So 
Um, as you know, I'm seriously in love with crafting, especially fiber arts, like knitting and crocheting, tatting, sewing, felting, weaving. I mean, I always say that I was born in the wrong millennia because I would have really been useful in the 1600s in Venice, making lace and clothes for people and like being super fancy. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, all right. So first things first, I'm going to just spew information and like all these pictures of different kinds of lace you can find in life. And like, obviously this is not an extensive list of all the ways you could possibly make lace because there's probably hundreds of methods we don't even know about, but these are the main ones. Um, so you could look at the pictures of the lace and the methods I'll be talking about. And you'll see that the first one is bobbin lace. That looks tedious as hell. Oh, hell yes. So this is actually a really, really tedious way of doing things, but it is easier than some other lace making techniques. So people actually started using, um, started bobbin lace because it was faster than making needle lace. So bobbin lace, you see all those little spools, all those little wooden thingies. Well, essentially what you have is all those little wooden thingies attached to um, thread and you twist the little the little wooden thingies and you pass them over each other and make like twists and ties and knots and things. And you follow a pattern that's on that pillow that you see. And then once you have the pattern, you pin the pattern in place. So like you see all those pins that are holding the lace in place. Yeah. Well, yeah. So every time you make a knot (laughs) and you have to pin it in place so that it stays and then you make other knots and then anyway, so that's a bobbin lace. Um, This makes super intricate patterns and it's most commonly known as English bobbin lace because it was the most popular form of lace that the English wore. Um, It was especially popular during the Tudor area area during the Tudor era with all the ruffs and the sleeves and the lace gowns and our favorite person in the world, Queen Elizabeth the First, <laughs> bringing it back. Bring her back. Um, the next one that you could see is crocheted lace. Um, this is any lace that's made with a crochet. So in the next picture, we can see Irish lace, um, which I'll be talking about later. You could see um, fillet crochet lace. I'm not sure if I put a picture in the thing I sent you, but. I will definitely post it on drydink.ca. <laughs> so, so basically that's crocheted lace. Crocheted lace is really fun. It's very intricate. It's a lot easier and a lot more accessible for a lot of people to make because all you need is a crochet hook. You know what a crochet hook. Have you seen a crochet ho- hook before? Probably. I'm sure if I see it, I'll see it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I could send a picture to you after, but like crocheting and knitting is very, very accessible. Like you could find that at any craft stores and like people had those to make like sweaters and socks and gloves and hats and things. So it was easy to kind of transmit your knowledge of crochet into making lace afterwards. Then you have cutwork lace, which is the next one you could see. And the most popular kind of cutwork is called broderie anglaise. And it doesn't actually come from England. Some people think it originated in Eastern Europe. Um, but Queen Victoria made this sort of lace extremely popular. And this is why it is most commonly referred to as English embroidery. So broderie anglaise is embroidery English, English embroidery. Then we have knitted lace. So knitted lace is so beautiful and super, super, super intricate and absolutely love it. So as you can see, there's Shetland lace and that originated in Shetland in the very extremely north of Scotland. Um, And the shawls that are made using this technique are so fine and so tiny and thin that they could be passed through a wedding ring. And that's why they're most commonly called wedding ring shawls. And um, these types of shawls were often used as veils or even just shawls um, during weddings. And women would often knit their own wedding shawls for their weddings to then place over their heads as veils or over their shoulders as shawls and super beautiful. So you have a picture of a bride who's having her her veil. Next, there's knotted lace, and this includes tatting and macrame. So these two methods are literally just making knots in order to then make a pattern. Um, Tatting uses a shuttle um, as, I don't know if I put a shuttle picture, but I think I did, Um, uses a shuttle as you can see in the picture. And I'll be talking about tatting a little bit later on. And then macrame, well, 
it's really popular. And if you've never seen macrame before, all I can say is like, where have you been <laughs> in life? Um, you've seen macrame before, right? Probably. Like again, you'd, all you'd the, have to show me. Well, you like I put it. You could see it. It's the one with um. Oh yeah, what the hell with am I like about? hanging pots and tapestries yeah. and things. Like I don't know. I feel like this is a very hippie thing. Yes. Yeah. So it's like it's one of those things where people are like, "Yeah, we're gonna like <laughs> hang wall hangings and use macrame to hang up our flower pots." And like, I am guilty. I too do this. It's absolutely beautiful. And like God some macrame is just wow, so pretty. Um, but yeah, so basically, so I'm not sure if you noticed, but two out of these methods are actually named after England. So English embroidery, English lace, English bobbin lace. And this is because of many things, um, other than the fact that the English really liked lace. So here is our historical background. Are you ready? I'm ready. So actually I'm going to be talking about one of the people who you've spoken to me about 1,000 times. So lace making in England is thought to have begun in around the 16th century, so the 1500s. Um, Catherine of Aragon, who was Henry VIII's first wife, um, that to give a little background, she couldn't give birth to a male heir and therefore Henry wanted to divorce her because she refused to annul the marriage and told him to, told on him to Rome. And Rome was like, um, no, you're not allowed to do that divorce thing. So King Henry founded the Church of England. So yeah, that Catherine of Aragon. So she got so upset about the divorce that she closed herself up in Kimbolton Castle, which is a castle in England. And she, ooh. This is testing your memory. She wore horsehair jackets. Do you remember those? When I was talking about the saints and like wearing those jackets that like essentially ripped up your skin so that it reminds you of your piety. Well, Catherine of Aragon wore those as she locked herself up in Kimbolton Castle. Mm -hmm. And she fasted for long periods of time. And she left only to go to church. But... With her free time locked up in the castle, the story goes that she made lace. So, (laughs) super tedious thing. And, like, it's very common to see nuns and very religious people at the time making lace. And it just made me think, like, is it because it's so tedious? It's, like, torture. And they're like, I am pious. I am making lace because it takes so much time. And it's, like, equivalent torture to making, like wearing horsehair jackets and making lace are on the same level of like torturous activity they all they're all locked up somewhere too you the nuns her, right exactly up. it's you're locked so, up in your house and you have nothing else to do so you start making lace you're like i need to distract myself with tedious work happens happens exactly. to everyone clearly i can vouch <laughs> so okay So yeah, so the story goes that she made lace in her free time, and apparently at one point, um, she burned all of her lace, like all the lace she owned, in order to commission lace from lace makers and support their art and businesses. And because of this, lace makers celebrated St. Catherine's Day on November 25th, where they would take a break from making lace for an entire day, and they made Catherine cakes, which were little rock cakes made with caraway seeds. And that was the lace maker's holiday, essentially. So, okay, we have Catherine of Aragon making lace. We have enough lace makers to make a lace making holiday. So who do you think bought all this lace? Who at the time was had, could afford lace in the end? The rich. There honest. you go. I'm not sure. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. And like the aristocracy no, in the okay. end, too. <laughs> And, I mean, at the time, and you could vouch for this as well, um, like, royalty was a very big thing. And there were very rich communities kind of everywhere during, well, obviously during medieval times, during the Renaissance, and up until the French Revolution, essentially. So making lace was super tedious because of this, right? And it was extremely expensive, and it was only... It was often only bought for extremely special occasions or, like we said, by the aristocracy, right? Mm. So to give you an idea, it is said that because the threads of the lace were so thin, 
Um, the lace makers needed a lot of light. And because this is before the dawn of electricity, candlelight was not enough. So they either sat outside all day long making lace, or when it was rainy and cold, they would be inside and there would often be like four lace makers per window. Um, but think about it. This is also before the dawn of indoor heating. So in order to keep warm near the windows, they would have pans of hot coals on the floor underneath their skirts in order to keep warm. And okay, so this actually made me laugh because I was like, okay, wait, what does this remind you of that we've already spoken about in a previous episode? I'll give you a clue. It's the pair. Oh. The pair right. of anguish. Mm-hmm. This yes. is that time period. <laughs> and I mean, Ooh. when you think about it, they were probably picking up like these lace makers. Okay. These like women who are working on fabric all day. They pick up the coals with the pair of anguish to transfer the coals into their pans and put <laughs> them under their skirts. And then, like, people are like, ooh, a medieval torture device when you have, like, these little ladies who aren't married picking up coals and putting them in their pants to keep warm. It's a crossover episode. We're right? Getting crazy Literally. Cr- Blast damn. from the past. So many crossovers. <laughs> okay. So to give you another idea of how tedious this stuff was, obviously, you know, you're working really close to stuff. Your eyesight ends up being mm-hmm. really bad, right? So if they were to work into the night, um, they used this thing called a reflector, which was essentially a glass ball. And when you put a candle behind it, the light gets projected and it brightens it. So like if you go all the way to the bottom of the page that I sent you, you could see what the reflectors look like. And I swear this looks like some crazy ass like contraption, but it was to reflect light so lace makers can see better. To make their lace for the rich people who needed their lace yeah, now. If it worked, if it works, there you it go. works. Um, so because lace was so popular among the aristocracy, the French Revolution really put a damper on all things rich. And with this came lace. Um, so this was, you could see why this was a problem, right? Because yes, you know, lace was something that was majoritarily aristocratic, but the people who made the lace were not. Um, so the downfall of aristocracy saw the progressive decline of lace makers from the late 1700s to the beginning of the Victorian period. So that was, yeah, that was probably like about 50 years where lace makers were progressively in decline and they were just really struggling to make a living. Mm-hmm. Now, so, yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's not that popular these days. So you, you don't see people going around no. with lace, and it it's considered yeah. like an old lady thing at this point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, pretty much. But hold on a second, because remember when I told you? Remember when I messaged you and I was like, I am so surprised at how many things Queen Victoria kind of brought forth or like advertised and marketed mm-hmm. and revived. Yeah. Well. This woman, she surprises me. And honestly, like, she, like I said, like, I like I had told you, she played such a big role in promoting so many things. Like, she was a walking advertisement for Scottish tourism. She advocated for the (laughs) understanding of South Asian culture. And she brought back lace. (laughs) Because why not? Why the hell not, you know? Exactly. And I mean, okay, so she got married in a wedding dress and y'all could see Queen Victoria in her beautiful wedding dress um, with Prince Albert. And this dress was almost entirely made of lace. Um, Everyone saw this dress and they were like, oh, wow, this is so beautiful. I want this. She also was the catalyst to modern day wedding fashion because she wore white and told everyone else at her wedding that they weren't allowed to, not because of the idea of purity and whatever, but because white would show off the lace on her dress the best. (laughs) Before this point, most regular everyday women would wear bright colored dresses to their weddings that then they would rewear during other occasions. Um, women, like the women who wore white for their weddings were often the wealthier ones and they wore white to show that they could afford to have their dresses cleaned. Mm. Whereas regular women did not necessarily have that luxury to have their dresses cleaned if ever they got stained. So they preferred to wear, and also like it was a big white dress. When were you ever going to wear a big white dress ever again? 
right? So they would prefer having colored dresses, but Queen Victoria changed that trend because everyone was like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. I want to do like her. (laughs) And wear... (laughs) Which actually... (laughs) Buy this dress and never wear it again. (laughs) Exactly. And that is is the trend that she started. And that was a trend that Lace started as well. And, um, like, this actually makes me think of, remember the first episode about Victorian, well, no, Elizabethan makeup, where we were like, why did all these women decide that they wanted to wear makeup? Maybe it was literally just because Queen Elizabeth was doing it. Pretty much. Everyone was like, wow, makeup. I want to do, like, the queen, too. Trendy. That's pretty much it. People exactly the trends. Literally. They're like, I want to be like the queen. I want to be rich, too. (laughs) So... Did you know that not only was Queen Victoria's wedding dress made of lace to boost the English lace industry, and she actually did that on purpose. She was like, wow, lace is beautiful, but I want to boost the English lace industry. So I'm going to make my entire wedding dress out of lace and influence the rest of the country to buy lace as well. But it was also made of silk, and that actually boosted the London silk industry. And... I mean, considering that we know where the majority of silk comes from, it comes from Asia. Um, I'm wondering, with her connection to Asia, was she trying to boost relations with the colonies? I don't know, but that would be interesting to look into. So, okay. So, thanks to Queen Victoria, lace was now becoming popular with everyone, and the average women were starting to take lace making into their own hands. Because, I mean, think about it. Lace is super expensive, and everyone wants to wear lace now, but they can't actually afford to buy lace. So, they're like, hey, I'm going to make lace at home, and I could make my own lace, and I could be pretty, and have all my lace on my garments, and etc., etc. So, this was especially relevant during the potato famine. So, the during the Irish potato famine... And, okay, so we're going to go back to that Irish crochet lace that I was talking about before. So, like, if you want to look at it, you can. But during the Irish potato famine from 1845 to 1849, women in Ireland started, starting with the Ursuline nuns, created a new sort of lace called Irish crochet lace. So, essentially, the Ursuline nuns created this lace. Once again, the nuns who are locked up and have nothing better to do, they're making lace in their free time. So, they invented this type of lace and then during the irish potato famine the nuns taught uh, the women in the communities how to make this irish crochet lace which looked very similar to venetian point lace but was much quicker to make and then could be sold to others um so venetian point lace is a type of needle lace which would take ages to make but it was like seen as the utmost kind of lace. It was like the most rich kind of lace, the most expensive lace that everybody wanted. Um, So imagine you could make something that looks very similar to that, but in half the time. Imagine how popular that must have been. To be like, I look, it's essentially like, okay, this is like very scandalous to say, but essentially like a knockoff, right? (laughs) You're like, I could look like I'm wearing designer without actually wearing designer. (laughs) Count me in. So... Irish lace makers became the main breadwinners during the potato famine because of this lace making and because of the fact that Queen Victoria had popularized lace making. Well, she had popularized lace, so everyone wanted their own kind of lace. Um, And yeah, so during the famine and after the famine up until the World War, women were a really big part of the household income. Um, Also... They began to make tatted wear. So if you look at the tatting picture, to give yourself an idea of what that looks like as well, you can see that like it's very different looking than the rest of the lace we have seen so far, right? It's like all these swirlies and little loops and things. Well, because it looked so different um, from all the other types of lace, it quickly became seen as, like, the poor person's lace because it was, like, the household lace and, like, the few things... It's, like, it didn't look like something fancy, so they're, like, ah, it's not as... It's not as special. It's it's the poor person's lace. We don't care about this. It's the working class lace. It's what people who can't afford to get Irish, like, Venetian crochet, well, Venetian point lace, they have to wear tatted wear. (laughs) Sucks for them. But then, when the Irish immigrants came to North America, they started selling their tatted lace 
to make money because the Americans didn't know any better. They were like, wow, this is beautiful. Let's buy it. That's usually exactly. <laughs> Same thing. And so the yeah. Irish, yeah. yeah. Same thing happened with uh, guns off topic with Queen Victoria. There's a particular kind of gun that was really popular. Nobody in the nobody in Europe wanted it, so the Americans bought it. The Winchester? Uh, no, it was a smooth barrel. Oh. Around a uh, curved barrel. You know, with the... Yeah. yeah. The British didn't want it. It was crazy. Queen Victoria shot a bullseye. And they were like, you'd think they'd be falling hands over feet for this thing. Nah. Nah, I'll sell it to the Americans. Okay. Sorry for that actually says. <laughs> Sorry for No, 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 but that you. actually... That actually says a lot, though, about, like, Queen Victoria. Like, the fact that Queen Victoria was such an influential lady and she couldn't even convince the British people to use that rifle means the rifle, they really didn't want it. the Americans used it. There you go. It's like, we don't like it. Send it to the colonies. (laughs) They'll take it. So. Okay, so... Okay, so tatted lace, they brought it to North America, started selling it, making money off of that. The women were really, like, making money off of lace making and things like that. Um, But then the Industrial Revolution hit real intensely, and it brought machine-made lace to the market. And in combination with the First World War, handmade lace was definitely not first priority, and lace in general was not first priority, and therefore it dwindled. So really, it was kind of... Like, Industrial Revolution hit, machine-made lace was happening, it was a lot cheaper, and it was a lot easier to make than making handmade, super tedious, like, bobbin lace and stuff. So, um, yeah, handmade lace just was less and less of a thing. Um, now, lace is primarily made by machine or made chemically, where patterns are made by the machine, and then the rest of the fabric is basically disintegrated around the pattern with a chemical and yeah so lace is so widely available that it's no longer like now it's so widely available that it's no longer seen as extremely fancy um nor expensive and in the it old-fashioned or like sexy yeah you know and honestly i was trying to figure out where this whole like sexy concept comes from and i just i have no idea i don't know where it comes from but i think it's like french lace a specific kind of french lace and french is associated with sexy and i cannot tell you i did not find anything conclusive on that matter but yeah either old-fashioned or sexy and in the end like no one makes handmade lace anymore no one wants it um but yeah so i mean obviously like for wedding dresses and things like that it's still very popular and think about it it's still popular today to have lace on your wedding dress and that was started with queen victoria so just you know, keep that in mind. Fun fact for y'all. <laughs> so yeah, so you know, sure, the better the lace is made, the more expensive it is, or even now. Um, but I mean, unless you're a connoisseur of lace, you may not really even be able to tell the difference at this point because machine lace is so widespread. And I mean, what's the difference between a really nice la- machine-made lace and a really shitty mm-hmm. machine-made lace? You know, some most people can't tell the difference. Everybody's grandma's got a lace on their dining room table. Mm-hmm. The doilies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you sit there playing yeah. with it because you're bored. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I have so many doilies in my house because my grandmother made a lot of them. And honestly, I'm the more I start making it, the more I start appreciating the lace. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in the end, it's it's very old-fashioned, but it's it's still like objectively beautiful and intricate work. It's very it's art it's artistic, you know. And in the end, yeah. If we ever go for I, an Edwardian fancy dinner, you have an excuse to wear. Oh hell yes! And I actually want to start knitting a Shetland knitted lace shawl, oh. the like wedding ring shawls, yeah. because <gasps> it's so pretty, it's so beautiful. But. <laughs> But yeah, or like even like, I don't know, like a little crochet collar or something, something cute, you know. But yeah, so that is, that's, that is the history yeah, that's all for my lighthearted dried ink talk for today. <laughs> Hope you liked it. Yeah. Hope it gave you some fun little tidbits. It's interesting. Thank you very much. They're weirdly, uh, kind of weirdly connected in a way, because people on the Titanic all wore lace. Oh yeah, it was big in that period. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean. That's a thing. So it was big up until the First World War, mm-hmm. right? 
So they were wearing lace, but they were probably wearing machine-made lace at that time. No, no soldiers going it, over the top covered in lace, you know. Oh, hell no. I mean, imagine you're walking into war decked out in lace. <laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> Victoria wore this on her wedding day. I shall too. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like even during the Edwardian period, like, by that time, everyone was wearing... They were still wearing lace on their blouses and things, right. but... Once, once I think industrialization really set in and the First World War was like heavily in, in play, it stopped. It stopped happening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, that's that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the knowledge on lace. No problem. Thank you for the knowledge part two on the Titanic. You're very welcome. <laughs> and that was actually, I'm really proud of this. That was a pretty short episode. Short? Yeah. That's okay. Next week will be long with my part three. I it'll, I will come prepared. It'll be mostly dominated by Titanic. <laughs> I am excited. So don't put. Don't I feel put, like it should yeah, be like a. Don't put your heart into next be episode because I'm stealing it. It'll be solely a Thomas episode. <laughs> I should just like not even try. Just show up for the entertainment. <sighs> we could do that if you want. Have a whole Thomas episode followed by a whole Olivia episode the next week. Ooh, that actually sounds really cool. I'm down. We can't promise anything. No, we can't promise no. anything. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Tune in next week to find out if we actually do it. Yeah. All right. All right. <gasps> do you want to do our moment of awkward silence? Sure. Or do you want to do something else? Let's do something what else. What are we going to do? I don't know. I feel like I should learn Morse code. Morse code? I can. I can teach you Morse code. Do you know Morse code off the top of your head? It's can you say something off in Morse the code? top of my head, No. But it's very easy to follow. I'll I'll show you the graph, the alphabet, essentially. It's not hard. All right. Okay. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to end this episode by doing a random Morse code and see if I actually make sense. (laughs) I'll listen to it next week. Okay, ready? Ready. Okay. I can't believe you feel about me that way. I am offended. <laughs> my mother was a saint. <laughs> Did you just call my mother a cow? <laughs> okay. We'll see you all, all next right. week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.